Okay, I'm going to start with the end of the lesson this morning. When you get the notes uh, in the mail, this is the end of the lesson. Um, And it's just a quote from uh, G. Campbell Morgan about the area we're going to cover. When we come to the 26th chapter of Numbers and the life of the nation of Israel, they're at the Promised Land, they're just to the east of the River Jordan, east of Jericho, uh, and the narrative doesn't move forward from here, but there's details that are given in the next ten chapters. So the rest of the book of Numbers is just details and, and housework and instructions from God. And we're going to do a bird's eye view this morning and look at as much of it as we can. And uh, finish maybe next week if we don't finish this morning. But I, I want to give you the sense of what's taking place. And this is what G. Campbell Morgan says about the book of Numbers. Throughout this book, the progress of a divine movement is manifest. It is not of man, but of Jehovah. Indeed, this is hardly a history of the Hebrew people being far more a revelation of the sure purposes, uh, being, more, being far more a revelation of the sure procedure of God toward the final working out in human history of the redemptive purposes of his heart, the first movement of which was recorded in Genesis, the central work of which was accomplished by the Son of, Son of God on the cross, and the final victories of which are not yet. So when we're going through this Old Testament look at the children of Israel, it is the work of God. It is about the glory of God. It's not about Israel, and it's not about us. It is about God and how that we can learn to trust Him and depend upon Him, uh, believe His Word, live by His Word. And we've seen that over and over in the life of the nation of Israel. So, go with me, if you would, to chapter 26, and or look on the screen of Numbers. Excuse me. And we read this. And it came to pass, after the plague, that was the plague of the people dying, getting involved with the... Midianite women and worshiping Baal, and so God sent a plague. We saw that last week. So after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's houses, all who are able to go to war in Israel. So they're going to number the fighting men. They did this 38 years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. They they did this 38 years ago, and now they're doing it again. It's really interesting. 38 years ago, there were about 600,000 numbered, and this time there are about two or three thousand less. I don't remember the exact number; it really doesn't matter. But two or three thousand less. So it's interesting to me that they spent 400 years in in Egypt, and they the the nation of Israel went from 76 individuals to close to 2 million. And now they spent 38 years in the wilderness and they've actually decreased. You know what's taking place? My, my opinion, what's taking place is that these people who died in the wilderness, they just didn't trust God. We've seen that. They, they knew about Him. They ate His food. They breathed His air. They saw His glory in the cloud and the fire, but they just didn't trust Him and they didn't prosper. So they didn't, magnified and so now they've come after after 38 years uh, of wandering and they're back to the same place about the same number 
Uh, God's purposes are not thwarted by their unbelief. He just raised up a new generation who would believe in Him and who would be obedient to Him. All the names are different except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Aaron's died, Miriam's died. So all the names are different except for these three. And you go through this list. We're not going to go through it this morning. And then we read this, that um, <clears throat> down in, in chapter 27, if you go with me there, there's in chapter 26 is just an enumeration of those tribes. Uh, you can read it if you're interested on your uh, this week. But chapter 27 and verse 12, God tells Moses to prepare to die. Uh, you remember, Moses is not going to be able to enter in the promised land because of his impatience, and he dishonored God uh, when he smote the rock instead of speaking to the rock. So now, we, verse 12, chapter 27. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this Mount Abram and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel, and when you've seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zen, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my commandment to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. So Moses is preparing to die. He has been the great leader. He's one of the heroes of the whole Old Testament and uh, one of the... Uh, most significant people in the Bible, but he's being prepared to die. When you go to Deuteronomy chapter 3, we won't go there right now, but I'll put it in the notes. You can look it up. We, we read, Deuteronomy is a recap. Moses gives a recap of everything that's happened. And in, in Deuteronomy, he, it says that he, he requested of God. He asked God, Lord, couldn't I go in? Couldn't, couldn't I? Would you change your mind? Would you let me go in? And the Lord told him, no. G. Campbell Morgan said this. Again, let me quote from him <clears throat> about Moses going up on this bluff and he's overlooking the promised land. I think the Lord probably gave him some supernatural vision that he could see for miles and see this is, this is the land of promise. This is where uh, God's going to bless these people and bless the world through these people. And G. Campbell Morgan said this, To this man it was given to... Stand with glory wrapped around on the hills he never trod and speak of the strife which won our life with the incarnate Son of God. So very significant time. Moses goes and he views the land and he's not, we don't read of any disappointment, but this is what we read. This is his heart. This has been his heart through his whole ministry. We read in verse 15, <clears throat> His response to the Lord. <clears throat> well, excuse me, I've been talking all morning and hadn't had one bit of problem. <clears throat> so I think it's the devil or Budweiser. I'm not sure. <clears throat> then the Lord spoke. Then the Lord spoke to. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, "Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd." It's really interesting. Here, here he's told to prepare to die, and his heart is for the congregation. 
His heart is for the people. That's the mark of a great leader. It wasn't him feeling sorry for himself. Uh, he had already dealt with God concerning that. He understood what he did. He understood the consequences of what he did. He knew he was going to see the promised land with the eye of faith. He knew one day he's going to dwell there uh, in, in, in uh, the millennial kingdom. He, he knows these things. And here he's saying, Lord, there needs to be leadership for these people. And I... I'm concerned about them. I'm concerned about their well-being. They've got, they got battles ahead of them. Uh, I want you uh, to, to have uh, a heart for them and provide for them. You remember what Jesus spoke about when he overlooked Jerusalem and uh, he, he wept about the state the people were in. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 that they're like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd are in trouble. And uh, uh, today, you know, we can, we can apply this nationally, we can apply it locally, we can apply it to churches. If you don't have a good shepherd, you're in trouble. If you don't have a shepherd who's concerned for the sheep, first of all, and not for themselves, you're in trouble. And so Moses' sorrow didn't keep him from caring. God's plan, as we know, is Joshua. We read that in verse 18 of this chapter. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. So here he is to bring him before the people. And go on and read with me a little further. Verse 21. He shall stand before Elise the priest, who might inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. For at his word they shall go out, at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, set him before Elise the priest, and before all the congregation laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. We've seen during their trials and during their, during their travel that uh, Miriam, Aaron, they thought Moses had taken too much upon himself. God judged them uh, for that. We, we remember Korah and uh, 250 rose up against the leadership of Moses. So they make a very public, they make a very public uh, inauguration that all the people would know this is whom God chose. Moses is still there. It wasn't after he died, but before he died. This is whom God chose. He's the one that's going to lead us and lead the children of Israel. And so it was very, very public that God chose this. I wanted to speak to you about uh, the changes of leadership. Now, I'm not talking about political. I'm talking about spiritually. Uh, I'm talking about here in our church because this is where we live, isn't it? Uh, now, I'm not speaking about Jeff Franklin. Nothing, as far as I know, nothing's happening. He's not moving back to Oklahoma or anything. So I'm just speaking about in life itself and where we've been and where we're going. And, and so new leaders have different um, gifts and they have different personalities. One of these days I won't be here and somebody else will teach this class uh, regularly and, and they'll be different from me and I'm different from... Uh, Mark, who was teaching uh, before he uh, abdicated the throne and moved to Georgia. 
you know, you understand Craig Holly was different. We're, we're all, everyone's different. Uh, Moses was bold. He performed miracles. Joshua, we have no record of anything like that in Joshua. Joshua, Joshua was faithful. Uh, Joshua was strong. Uh, Joshua was a military person. It's going to be proven out. But he wasn't like Moses. Moses was probably more charismatic. And Joseph was just a person who was obedient and faithful and listened to the Lord and followed, followed the Lord. The, work, the second thing, the work is the same. It continues. God uses different people. Uh, he used Balaam's donkey, we saw. He used Balaam, who, who was a reprobate, uh, to, to proclaim that Christ is going to come. But God uses different people. He chooses whom He uses, and He doesn't always choose whom we might choose. You understand that? Uh, God, God chooses as He wants to. He ordains leadership. And uh, you remember David and uh, Samuel would have picked any of David's brothers before he picked David, but the Lord kept saying, no, 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 don't look on the outward appearance, look on the heart. So God looks on the heart. I debated about whether telling you this story or not, and I hate telling stories about myself. Well, I don't hate it too bad, but I don't want to do it enough that, you, that you're thinking about it. All he talks about is himself. But when I became the pastor here, if you have been around a long time, I'm different from Frank Johnson, uh, considerably different from Frank Johnson. And I'd been pastor for a short amount of time, and our chairman of the deacons called me one day and said, you have an usher who's very, very critical of you publicly in the church building as people are coming in. And he said he is comparing you to Frank Johnson, and he's not happy. And he said, I'm not gossiping because I've talked to him about it, and I've tried to get him to come to talk to you. So I said, okay. And this usher happened to be, I'm not going to name him, and, but he happened, he played college football. He was about 6'1 or 2 and weighed probably 250 pounds and re- retired now. In fact, he had lost his job, so probably a little bit of, he'd been laid off in one of the downturns. <clears throat> so probably a little bit of turmoil in his life as well going on. So I hung up the phone, got in the car, and went to see him. I went to his house, and uh, I was nervous then as I am now. So I knocked on, his, I knocked on his door, and uh, he was surprised to see me. And so I go in, and we sat down in his den, and I said to him, I, I've heard that you're not happy that I'm the pastor. And he said, no, I like Frank Johnson. And I said, well, I did too. But he left. And I didn't have anything to do with that. He chose to leave. He, he chose to retired and left and he left and I said I can't be him I can't preach as good as he is I can't be him I said but here's what I'll do I'll do the very best I can but I need your help would you help me and you know instead of being okay instead of being mad at him I just I, I entreated him to help me you know and he said okay and to my knowledge uh I he did to my, to my knowledge and I, to his ability, he supported me and was for me after that. That's the Lord, isn't it? That, that's it? And I'm grateful for that as well. So I don't know why that makes me emotional. That was a long time ago. That was a long time in the past.
But you know what we need to learn is that God uses people to lead us, and we need to, we need to trust God. We need to pray for them, trust God, and follow them as long as they're following the Lord. No one is indispensable. No one. I, I, I've told you the story before is that if something happens to me, somebody will have my car keys within probably a few days. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, they'll have my golf clubs within a couple of months. And so life, life goes on. I'm not being, you know, I don't, if, you, if you lost someone recently, I'm not, I, I don't mean to be harsh, but life goes on, doesn't it? Uh, we, this is not our home. We're passing through, and we do, we do, we do pass through. Chapter 28 through 30 is a summary of offerings, feasts. We've already read them. We've already dealt with them. Uh, just a, a recap, a summary, so we're not going to talk about this morning. Chapter 31 is the war with the Midianites. You remember last week we saw God said to, to Moses that you're to harass and make war with the Midianites. So now it's going to come to pass. We're going to look at it very briefly this morning. Chapter 31, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. After you shall be gathered to your people. Now, why are they taking vengeance on them? Because they influenced the people of Israel to follow Baal, to become idolatrous and to follow Baal. Take, take vengeance. Um, afterward, you'll be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm yourselves. For war, let us go against the Midianites, take vengeance of the Lord. So a thousand from each tribe armed themselves. Uh, verse 6, Moses sent them to war. One thousand from each tribe, he sent them to war with Phinehas, the son of Eliezer the priest, the holy articles, the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, and he names them, and five kings of Midian, and then Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. We talked about that before. So he's still, he's still counseling the Midianites to influence the children of Israel, but now he is killed with the sword. But now there's a problem, verse 9, and the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks, all their goods, and burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forts. And they took all the spoil of the booty of man and beast, and then they brought the captives the booty of the spoil of Moses and to the camp of Israel. Verse 13, Moses, the Eliezer, the priest, and all the leaders of the community went out to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands, with the captains over hundreds, who had come from the battle. And here's his anger, verse 15. Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to transgress against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore, kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. Boy, that's really hard, isn't it? You know, we've talked about this several times already, about the fact that, <clears throat> that in the Old Testament, there and, and going forward especially, there's going to be vengeance upon these nations, and they're going to drive them out of the land. Now, these people have been 
dwelling there. They're going to drive them out of the land. They're going to kill. They're going to kill a lot of them. And here he's saying to them, you basically wipe them out. You can leave the, you can leave the girls who haven't known a man, but you kill the boys, you kill the women who have. And, and so we read that and we think, mm, boy, that's just really harsh. But remember that they were idolaters. They had rebelled against God. They knew God. They rebelled against God. They would not accept uh, Him as their God. And they would, would continue to influence the nation of Israel to do so. I want to quote G. Campbell Morgan again. There is a false piety which is the essence of cruelty. A false piety would have said, we need to let these people live but see, he said that's the essence of cruelty because you're going to destroy the nation. This is the nation that's going to be a testament to the world, to all the nations, to us, to we who live in America. This is going to be the nation who brings forth Christ. This is going to be the nation who testifies to the majesty and the sovereignty of God, the, the one true God against all the false gods. This is going to be the nation that God uses to bless the world, the family of Abraham. And if they're perverted this early on in their life, it will never happen. And that's what had been happening, is that they were being perverted by these idolatrous people, and they were getting them to worship the idols of Baal. And, and Morgan says that to let them live is a false piety, and it's the essence of cruelty. He said, it is true that love makes no terms with the world. I hope you understand that. When you, when you read through the Old Testament, you read the history of Israel, and you remember that the Babylonians come, the first, first the Assyrians come, take the northern kingdom captive. Seventy years after that, the Babylonians come, take the southern kingdom captive. And here's what God said. God said about the Babylonians that they are my servants. He said about Nebuchadnezzar, who, who is a pagan ruler, they, he is my servant. God used them to judge the nation of Israel. And Israel goes into captivity. So what, what Israel's doing here to the Midianites, God does to Israel as well. And so he's saying, they are my servants. Later, the Romans are God's servants because Israel needs chastisement and God uses nations to chastise other nations. And we may be facing the same thing if the Lord tarries His coming. So that's not a political statement, that's a moral statement. And so I want you to understand that God does this for the good of humankind. He does it for the good of His glory and His testimony to the world. I want you to remember what the, the words of Jesus. You read it in Luke chapter 13. They come to Jesus and they say to Him, there's people who are being challenging him or questioning him, and they say to him, what do you say about the Galileans? So what had happened is that there was a feast day, and Pilate has, con has conflict with the high priest and, and, the, and the, the leadership of the nation. So on this feast day, Pilate sends his men who are cloaked and masked, and it, it's recorded in secular history, and they go in among the Jewish people who are there, and especially the Galileans who are vocal, people and he and on a signal they draw their daggers and they kill Jewish people in this feast time 
So they ask him, what about those people that Pilate killed during the feast? And Jesus responds, if you, you may remember, and he says, do you suppose that they were worse sinners than all others? Now, he's not even dealing with Pilate. He's dealing with the people who died. And he said, do you suppose they were worse sinners than all others simply because they got killed, because they died earlier than they would have if they died in their bed a natural death? And sometimes we have the tendency to think so, do, do we not? We think when someone dies prematurely or early, we think, well, what did they do? You know, because that's, that's how we think, and we, and we shouldn't. Jesus goes on and he says, what about those 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell on and they died? He said, do you suppose, he repeats the same thing, do you suppose they were worse sinners than others? And there, it's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. You know what? You know what the issue is? We all die. That's not really the issue. The issue is what happens to us after death. The issue is do we know Christ? Are we going to heaven or are we going to hell? <clears throat> the issue is, is that are we believing in Jesus Christ? It's not whether the body dies. It's going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Maybe prematurely. Maybe after a long life. But we're, we're, we're not going to survive this life. And so Jesus is saying, that's not what's important in this world. That's not the significant thing. Chapter 32 tells of the two tribes that are going to settle on the east side of Jordan. The tribe of Manasseh, and the, and, or the half-tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Gad and Reuben, the leadership comes to Moses and says, we want to settle on the east side of Jordan, where we are right now. They looked around, they saw the land of Dillon, they said, this is a good place, I'm happy here. And, and Moses at first, if you read the chapter, Moses is upset. Moses said, uh, you're doing the same thing that we did 38 years ago. You're saying you will not go into the land and God's going to judge you for that. And they said, no, wait, Moses, we'll, we'll build stocks, for, we'll build pens for our stocks, our, our flocks and things, and our stock, and we'll build houses for our women and our children, and we fighting men will go into the land and fight with you until the land is conquered. We'll, we'll do our duty. So Moses said, Okay, uh, that, that, that would be all right. So they allow them to dwell on uh, the east side of the Jordan. So that's going to become their inheritance. Um, and today, that's not Israel's land. It will be in the Millennial Kingdom, but it's not Israel's land today. And then you get to chapter 34. Or, oh, no, chapter 33. And uh, chapter 33 gives a summary of Israel's journey. So it's just, they moved from here, they went to here, they moved from here, they went to here. And it just gives a summary of Israel's journey. And then chapter 34 gives the boundaries of the land to be divided among the tribes. Here's the interesting thing. So the boundaries don't mean much to us. You can, maybe in the back of your mouth, you, back of your Bible, you have a mouth that does it, or you can look it up, and you find where their boundaries are. You will not find a, a, a land allotted to the tribe of Simeon or the tribe of Levi. The Levites have been chosen as the priestly tribe, and they will not be given an allotment of land. They'll be given cities to dwell in, and uh, the, outside that city they'll have like a thousand meters of, of where they can have some crops or a garden, you might say, and where their flocks can be outside the city walls. 
but they have 48 cities. When we talk about cities, we're not talking about Midland or Odessa. We're talking about probably Stanton, you know, or we're talking about Iran. We're, we're talking about small. So, but they're going to be scattered throughout the, the land, north to south and over east of the Jordan, where the priesthood will be among the people. And the priesthood will influence all the people for the sake of the name of Christ, of the name of God. So they're going to be scattered out. Now, what about the tribe of Simeon? If you go all the way back to when Jacob is going to die, he's the, he's the patriarch. These are his children. These are his, these, his sons are the uh, patriarchs of these tribes. He said that Simeon and Levi would be scattered throughout Israel. Uh, he said that, here's what he said, God will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. That's Genesis 49.7. Put it in the notes so you can look it up. Now, why? What, what did they, why were they going to be scattered? If you, if you back up a little bit before this, and remember that when, when they were uh, together as a family, and they come up, um, and they are going to where Shechem is, and the daughter, I didn't even put her name in there, Diana, I think, was it Diana? And she goes into town, and the king's son of the town, the regional king, tribal leader, his son sees her, rapes her, wants to marry her. And so Jacob thought, that's okay, but everybody has to be circumcised. So they, they plot what they did. These two boys, Simeon and Levi, plotted. And when the men of the city said, look at the wealth they have. Look at all that Jacob has and all of his children and all of his flocks. and all of his If we marry with them, we'll, be, uh, we'll have all that wealth added to our city. So let's do it. And he said, just be circumcised. Well, the men got circumcised, and while they were painful... Levi and Simeon go in and slaughter them. And Jacob said, you're going to be scattered in Israel. It's a judgment. These are his sons, but he's saying, this is a judgment. You can't, see, they violated the honor of God by doing that. They, that, that they took revenge and avenged them, their sister themselves and, and way over the top. You know, so it just, it, it wasn't right and God held them accountable. So Simeon, when you read about the tribe of Simeon, if you look at the numbering from the first time they were numbered, they're, they're almost half at the second time, so they lose half their tribe. And what, what they end up doing, they dwell with the tribe of Judah. So Simeon dwells under the territory of Judah. But here's, here's the interesting thing. God uses the Levites to bless the nation of Israel. Even though they had sinned, uh, Levi had sinned, and the sins of the fathers of Israel upon the children, third, fourth generation, we read that. But it doesn't mean the children have to sin. It means the children are influenced by the fathers for generations, but you don't have to give in to sin. You don't have to give in to that. So the Levites become the priestly nation. They bless the nation of Israel. The Levites, uh, they, they have a lot of great leaders. Moses, Aaron, Phinehas, Eli, Ezra, John the Baptist. They all come from that tribe. But they're scattered out through the land. And the, the tribe of Simeon dwell with Judah, which includes Jerusalem. And they stay the most faithful in worship. So God blessed them. Even though they didn't get, weren't given territory, God blessed them. 
You know, and when you read through the scripture, you read in the Psalms, you see that over and over. Is that it, there, there are women who are barren, and God said, I'm, I'm better to you than if you had seven sons. Remember, that's what he said to, what's her name? And, and, you know, he talked about the orphan. He talked about the, uh, the, the, the people who are not married. He talked about that. I, I, I will be your father. I'll be your husband. I, I will be your blessing. And it doesn't matter about our past. If we simply repent and be obedient, God will bless us. He talked about in the, in the prophet. When we studied the mighty prophet. We saw that the, the, the grasshoppers came in and they ravished the land. That's the judgment of God. But then God says through the prophet, I think it's Micah, he says that I will restore the years that the locusts ate. You be faithful, I'll restore those years to you. I think God has limited some of my ministry, maybe because I didn't get saved until I was 25 and didn't know the Lord, didn't live for the Lord. And maybe my ministry has been limited, but been very blessed instead. You know, we need to pray for our grandchildren that they get saved early and they don't, they don't dabble in sin and their lives be limited to some great... It doesn't mean they'll never be blessed. You know, if you, have, if you have children or grandchildren who have sinned and maybe, you know, sexual sin or other sins, it doesn't mean they can't be blessed of the Lord. I, I, we, we need to have hope and trust in God. It, it may mean their life will not be what it would have been but they can still be very good and very blessed of God. We need to trust in God. This is, this is God. He, he's abounding in mercy. And we see that in these two tribes. Even though they didn't have an allotment of land, they were blessed of God. And then we come to chapter 35. And we read in chapter 35 and verse 9 and 12, through verse 9 and 12, uh, about the cities of Israel. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan in the land of Canaan, you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. So, he told, the, he told the Levites, okay, you have 48 cities throughout the nation of Israel. Six of those, three on this side of the east of Jordan, three on the west of Jordan, is that they're to be cities of refuge. So they're going to be throughout the land, six cities throughout the land. You go into Deuteronomy and you read there, you're to pave the roads to those, you're to put signposts so people can find them. And what it was for is judicial. It means that if, if you today, if you had a motor car accident and you kill someone, and that family in that day would have an avenger that would come and find you and kill you. And, and so he's saying that for judgment, you could flee to one of those cities, and then you stand before the elders of that city and present your case. Now, why the elders of that city instead of the elders of the city you live in? Because these people are going to be nonpartisan. These people are going to be, they're not going to have cousin whom you, whom you killed, or a nephew whom you killed, or a brother whom you killed. And so they're going to be people who are going to judge on the facts. So the elders of that city would hear your case, and if they deemed that it was an accidental death, they would let you live there, and you could live inside that city, 
and the avenger could not touch you. And when the high priest died, you would be free to go back home. Now, if the high priest lived 50 years, you might die in that city, but you wouldn't be killed. You would, and you could bring, probably bring your family there or whatever. So it was, it was a judicial thing. The Lord was saying, I, I want you to have... Uh, what the avenger was doing was what was given in, in, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But it wasn't always evenly applied. And so he's saying there needs to be a judgment upon the actions of these people. And so these were cities of refuge. J.M. Boyce, whom I read after, he applied these cities to Christ. And I want to do that as we close this morning. So the contrast would be an offender had to scramble quickly to get to one of these cities before the avenger of blood called him and killed him, where the contrast is Christ invites people who are sinful to come. Isn't that a wonderful difference? Christ invites us to come. Doesn't matter about your sin, doesn't matter how sinful you've been, He he invites you to come. Here are the similarities. I I mentioned earlier in Deuteronomy that the way to the city had to be made clear. The roads had to be paved. It had to be basically, if you wanted to get there, you were not hindered in your way. Christ should be presented very clearly. Christ invites everyone to come. It's easy to come to Christ if you're willing to repent. If you're willing to humble yourself, it's easy to come to Christ. There was only one provision for a person who killed someone, and that was to get to one of these cities. There's only one provision to be saved, and that is Christ himself. No, no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Chapter 36 is about the inheritance of the land. We're going to, at this end of Numbers, <clears throat> the inheritance of the land. The land belonged to God, and He allotted it to the, he allotted it to the nation. And as you go, through the, you go through the rest of the Old Testament, you're going to see this worked out some. Do you remember the story of Ruth? And uh, she, so Naomi, she moves, Naomi moves off to Moab, is that right? And so, and so her husband dies there, her sons die there. But when she comes back, her husband was allotted some land. And so the, the land could be redeemed. And so what would happen is that uh, it had to do with the cycle of time. It had to do with the jubilee year and the, the 50th year. The land would revert back to the tribe. If you, if you had a piece of land allotted to you, you could sell it to a different tribe or sell it to a different uh, person. But at, at some point, at the 50th year, let's just say if it was between the Jubilee years, if there's 20 years left, well, it would be a 20-year lease, basically, because at the end of that, it's going to revert back to you. It's going to revert back to your family or your tribe. And, it, and this is what it's saying. We live in God's world. This is God's world. He owns it. He rules it. And we're His subjects. And, we, uh, and He is a benevolent, compassionate, long-suffering, graceful King. And we serve Him. And when we realize it, we don't try to grasp it quite as hard. We try to say, Lord, You're my provider. You're, you're the one who gives to me. It's not what I have in the bank. It's not where I live. You're, you're the provider of my, all my substance, my family, I trust in you. 
This is, this is your world. This is your kingdom. And when we do that, and we do it consciously, day by day, we're more at peace with the world. We're more at peace with ourselves. I don't know about you, you can read the news or watch the news and you can become very agitated in your spirit about what's happening in the world. But then you, if, you, if you realize biblically, the Lord's allowing this, the Lord even predicted this, and, and He has a plan, He's working His plan. And we just need to, be, we're, part of, we're part of that plan, we've been chosen by Him, we've been ordained by Him to be obedient, to follow Him, to exalt His name, and one day we're going to see the realization of His plan. We're going to come out of heaven riding on white horses, wearing white linen with Christ, and the world's going to face judgment. And I don't glory in that. I glory in the fact that I'm going to be with Christ instead of down here, okay, in the judgment, but I'm going to be with Him as the judgment comes. That's our future. So we end the book of Numbers, but we haven't ended the story of the nation of Israel, so we'll continue next week in Deuteronomy. Lord willing, pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the promise uh, that we have of Christ coming. Uh, Lord, one one day to fulfill all these things that we see uh, started here. And Father, I pray You'd help us to trust You as we look at our world today. Lord, help us to uh, not be overly anxious, but just simply to trust in You. And Lord, to, uh, to proclaim Your name as best we can to all that we can. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, Lord bless you. Glad you're here this morning. See you in church.